Hi, I'm Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail podcast where it's all about Maryland. We have a no-holds-barred conversation featuring Maryland newsmakers and newsbreakers, journalists, report politicians, policy wonks, prognosticators, political activists, organizers, community leaders, and so many more. Man, that's a lot of peace. Here on a Minor Detail podcast, we get to the bottom of every story. We talk about news and politics in an open and honest format. And we find the minor details because every detail matters. You can follow us on the web at a aminordetailpodcast.com and aminordetail.com for the latest Maryland news and politics. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to a Minor Detail podcast. This is Ryan Minor. I am not live from an Annapolis cigar bar. Let me just make that clear. I am live from the great city of Gaithersburg. Tonight, I have a panel discussion about the news that rocked the state of Maryland beginning last Monday. You've probably heard now, perhaps the entire world has probably heard now, of the name Marianne Lasante. She is a state delegate from Hartford County, Maryland. And last week on Monday, a story broke uh, written by Ovita Wiggins in the Washington Post that uh, this Hartford County state delegate who is uh, was just recently reelected last November, that she uttered a racial slur in a, an Annapolis cigar bar sometime in January. And we're going to go through that story tonight. We're going to talk about the fallout, and we're going to discuss uh, several iterations of what has happened, what will happen, and what should happen. Welcome, everybody, to a minor detail. I'm going to go ahead and introduce my panel, and I'm very grateful to have tonight, for the first time, Michael Feldman, who is a progressive he is a rock star all over this state. Michael, welcome. You, uh, I think this is the first time you've been on the show. Yeah, it is, and thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Allison Galbraith is a veteran of this show. Allison has done this show a ton of times. Anytime there is breaking news throughout the state of Maryland, I, Allison's like my go-to person. So, Allison, welcome back. Thank you. You and I should mention, incidentally, Allison is a Hartford County resident, so she's got a firsthand perspective of just what the heck is happening up there. And I believe I have on the line with me Eugene Craig. Eugene, are you there? I'm here, brother. Hey, Eugene. Um, Eugene Craig is uh, an activist. He, I don't even know how to describe you, Eugene. Are you still a Republican? <laughs> Absolutely, I am. I am. You can see that. <laughs> well. I, I was telling Michael before you you hopped onto the call. Um, you are often you are a keystone of Roland Martin's show. Um, you're very involved in um, many in the African American community. Um, you do a lot of work throughout the uh, throughout the state, and uh, I think your your perspective is always so important. So let's just kick this thing off, um, and then we'll have. Appreciate. Yeah, Christopher Irvin's going to come on, too. And then I have Dr. Todd Everly, who is a political scientist um, and professor at St. Mary's College. He is doing a CNBC segment. He will call in in just a bit. But um, on Monday, that is February the 25th, and reading directly from Ovita Wagon's story, a white lawmaker from Hartford County apologized to the leaders of the Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland for using a racial slur to describe a legislative district in Prince George's County, but also told her black colleague that she did not recall using the word. And the word in question is very sadly the N word. She uh, was in a conversation at a, an Annapolis cigar bar uh, right off of main street. I've been there before. Um, and the, the allegations. And so it, as it goes that she told the white colleague during an after hours gathering that, um, that when that, that that he campaigned in Prince George's on behalf of a candidate last fall, and he was door knocking in a quote unquote in district. I'm not going to use the word. There's no reason we should use that word. Um, and I mean, if I just I, I'm not comfortable using that word even in the context of quoting it. So this past week, uh, the the situation unflowed where 
Delegate Lasante, who is now in her second term, she's 51 years, 51 years old from Harford County. Uh, she met with the, uh, the House Black Caucus and she apologized. She said she recognizes that her words hurt so many. And let's see, her apologies came after each of the seven members of the caucus executive committee told her how they felt upon learning that their colleague allegedly used the racial slur. Uh, then she, she was stripped of her chairmanship. I believe she met with the speaker on Thursday. We'll get into the, the details of the story um, in just a bit. But here we are today. It's Sunday evening, 9 o'clock p.m. And on Thursday evening at 5.45 p.m., the Maryland House of Delegates, 137 to 0, voted to censure her, which is a, a formal uh, – a, a, a formal – slap a formal hey you did something really bad it hasn't happened much in history it's only happened uh i believe you know i don't even know if it's happened more than 10 times she has refused to design despite having multiple groups multiple legislators including the house leadership including the governor even including the members of the congressional delegation i i think chris van holland has weighed in um former um gubernatorial candidate ben jealous has weighed in governor hogan has called on him to resign Virtually every organization out there has called on her to resign, including the NAACP of Maryland uh, and the, the Hartford County delegation. And so she refuses to resign. And we are here today, and we're going to talk about the scandal. We're going to talk about the fallout. And I want to start with you, Michael Feldman. When you first heard about this story, probably like the rest of us, and I – look, I, I had heard rumblings, Michael, about this story I think about two or three weeks ago, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I, you know, I don't have enough to talk to. I know that some people who attend this Annapolis Cigar Bar, I don't think that they're going to talk about it. And Josh Kurtz even wrote a column, uh, Michael, that said, you know, he should have followed up on it. But when you first heard about it, what's your reaction? Uh, I, I mean, I believe that my reaction was was pretty similar to everyone else's. Um, I, I mean, it was complete shock that a legislator, regardless of how inebriated they were or were not, would use not only use that term, period, uh, but to go so far as to use that term in public. Um, and, you know, I've been following the story ever since it broke. And, I mean, it just seems like every time that she's allowed in front of a microphone, she makes the situation worse. Um, and we've been personally calling for her to resign uh, and are actually going to be looking at, at demanding that the legislator, legislature expel her since it seems that she has no desire to, to resign. Allison, you're, you're a Hartford County resident. You ran for office. You, were, you ran for Congress in, in the Democratic primary in Maryland's first congressional district. And as someone who, is a, who also is a state party representative for the Maryland Democratic Party. What's your reaction to what has happened over the last week? Uh, it's obviously unfortunate. It's wrong. There's no denying that. There's no denying that. My concern was for the people here and what might happen in a seat that could pretty easily go red. Uh, and just and just worrying what the what the domino effect of this is, and whether it turns into some mess like Virginia or <laughs> or uh, you know just something that really really damages the county and the Democratic Party within the within the within the county and and my focus has been on trying to find some solution which gives people the, the justice and the response that they deserve, but also balances the needs of constituents to have a represent, uh, to have a representative in there. Yeah. Eugene Craig, you, you and I talked about this story as soon as it broke, we talked about it offline and uh, you know, I, the word itself, um, it's a, it's a word that has crept up back in. I mean, it's been around for a long time. And when you hear that word, Eugene, what, how does, how do you react to that? Uh, <laughs> actually, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I just got done covering this about three hours ago on my, on my pod. Um, 
it's an interesting situation, right? Um, you know, my thought process is this. A person that can consciously make the decision to not, you know, let's say cuss around their grandmother or, you know, swear on the floor of the house or, you know, you know, use derogatory language in front of cameras has the same mental faculties to not use this word ever. Um, I mean, you know, there's, I mean, there, there's, you know, I hate to put it, you know, crassly, but there's no reason for, you know, a white person ever use this word. Um, I mean, it comes with a, a, a very distinct history. It comes with a very distinct context. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, I mean, I think there are very, very, very defined boundaries around it um, and its use, um, even in a historical, even in, his, in, a, in, a, in a historical sense. Um, and I agree with Mr. Feldman. I said, listen, you know, I think she probably should be removed um, from, from the house. Uh, I think we're seeing an era here of where, you know, and I, I, to some degree, you know, point to 1600 Pennsylvania for the climate that we're in. But we're seeing an era here on both sides of the aisle where in previous, you know, years, in previous times, if something like this will happen, the person will have enough shame to, you know, hey, you know, resign, you know, rehabilitate yourself off of public office, and then, you know, reenter public life. Um, you know, we're now in an era where it's essentially become, hey, you know, you're going to accept my apology whether you want to or not, and I'm not going anywhere. I mean, you know, there, there was a time when some of these things were, were, were just so beyond the line, you know, just so sacred that, hey, you know, if you were to violate in this, you know, super violate in this manner, that you you'll be booted, you'll be gone. You I mean you have the dignity to to self you know off yourself. Now, granted from the Republican, granted from the Republican standpoint, you know, you know I'm very kind of weary of Republicans, you know, kind of going after her because you know folks let Pat McDonough stick around forever. Hmm. Pat McDonough, of course, former state delegate from District Seven, ran for the Baltimore County Executive on the Republican ticket, but lost in the primary to Al Redmer. If you mentioned Pat McDonough. He is a you know, he's a big figure. He has often been in the media and has been uh, accused of also exhibiting racism. Um, I, I don't have the specific quotes, but there it is somewhat unfortunate. Oh, he, he he's he's the Steve King of Maryland. <laughs> the Steve King. Wow, that's a that's quite an analogy. Um, I believe Chris Irvin is on the line now. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Hey, thanks for calling in. I, I believe this is your first time on the show, and I just want to welcome you. We have a great panel. I have Eugene Craig with me, Allison Galbraith, um, who is the first vice chair. Is that your is that your second. position, Allison? Second vice chair second, of the Maryland Democratic <laughs> in the Maryland Democratic Party, and I have Michael Felpin with me, who is a, 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 a progressive activist here in the state of Maryland. Um, Christopher, you've heard about this scandal. It broke on Monday. The Washington Post first reported it. We're talking about the fallout, what has happened. She has not resigned yet. What do you, what's your take on this? Well, uh, good evening to uh, your fellow guests, uh, and thank you for having me. Of course. Um, it, it's, so it, it, it's obviously a tough situation. Um, I think once, once the story came out, and inadvertently or inadvertently was confirmed by her, I think it was necessary for her to step down. I think it was also necessary to um, kind of shine light on the shadows that were behind her. Um, previous events that have happened where people should have been uh, probably scrutinized further people in the situations that they were involved in, because that's kind of the common thing. Well, what she did was bad but there were much worse things before her. And so my response to that every time I hear it is, you know, you kind of have to acknowledge, okay, there were things, um, and admittedly that were probably worse than her. The question is, where do we stop it all and begin to set the, the, the direction for the culture? You know, if we can keep talking about the culture, whether it's the culture of policing or the culture um, uh, of of, of uh, patriarchy uh, in Annapolis or in the workplace or anywhere. We can't wait for the worst of the worst to finally say stop. We have to make things better. At some point, you just stop. So let me and, toss a and, pan- let, let me toss a question mm-hmm. out to the panel. 
to everyone? And this is a tough question that I pondered virtually. There's, I don't think there's any way to ask it, but if someone like Marianne Lasante, who is a Democrat from Hartford County, 51 years old, uh, former elected official, uh, before she even got elected to the Maryland House delegate, she was she represented District F on the Hartford County Council. If someone uses that word, the N word, in whatever context, whatever setting, does that qualify them immediately as being a racist? It's a racist remark, but in her heart, we don't know what happened. We don't know what's in her heart. We've we've heard her statement. She's seemingly shown some remorse, although in her statement before the media, the press on Thursday night after her censure, she said, well, it was unverified. And anytime you start to parse language like that, that creates more of a, a problem. That creates more questions. And it's like you, you apologize, but then you said, well, we're going to, you know, it, it's not verified. I don't know if I said it or not, even though she apologized for it. And even though multiple people told the Post and other media outlets that they heard Delegate Lucente saying that. But to the original question, and I want to go to you, Michael, if someone uses that word, would that qualify them as being a racist? Yeah, so I, I guess let me put it this way. Um, I, I can't say for sure uh, whether someone using that type of language would categorically make them racist, though it is obviously uh, a racist act or a racial slur. Um, but that being said, in, in all of the ensuing uh, you know, public statements that she has made since then, if it was not clear uh, um, that there was uh, racial undertones, and, and to be frank, that she is a racist before, I think that every comment that she has made since has really solidified that for folks. Because, you know, as you said, she originally came out and admitted she said the word, even though she, quote, unquote, did not remember. And then suddenly it was, I, you know, from I don't remember saying it to uh, that it was unverified. Um, and then the last statement that I saw from her uh, after she was censured immediately afterward uh, was that she was now backtracking to the point where she was denying that she said it. And I think that if she had come at it from a place of true remorse, uh, you know, we may be able to have a little bit grander conversation of, you know, whether this was upbringing or something of that nature. Uh, but, I, I mean, really the long and short of it for me is the, the obvious complete lack of remorse and, and really indignance at this point uh, proves to me that she really can't represent the people of her district because, you know, 34A, I believe, is almost 40% uh, African-American. So, you know, how, how can you pretend to represent people who you think about in that way? That's a good point. And I think that's a point that's being made by someone like Daryl Barnes, Delegate Daryl Barnes, and the chairman of the House Black Caucus, that she's virtually a lame duck now. How can she continue to represent her people when she's been stripped of her committee assignment? She's just basically hanging out in Annapolis and or not. I, I, I don't know what happens next for her. But let me ask you this, Chris. Let me ask you the question, is redemption possible here? Is, the, is a grander conversation able to take place with, with her um, at, at this time? Or does that have to happen outside of office now that this has happened and she's admitted it and somewhat backtracked? What, what, is there a step forward towards redemption and, and, and moving past this? Well, I actually think this is the perfect um the perfect scenario to have that grander uh, conversation. And even towards the conversation that you just um, had with Mike about whether or not her using the word um, identifies her as racist, I think the conversation should be about the standard that we want to set, for, that we would like to have for our uh, legislators in Annapolis. That, that is the beginning of establishing culture. And again, whether we're talking about political culture, policing culture, et cetera, it has to start somewhere. And this is the perfect start of the conversation because, again, if you think about some of the examples that, they, um, that have been identified as worse than her, 
they they again are indicative of the the, the degradation of the culture in Annapolis. Regardless of what party someone represents, how should they be conducting themselves as representatives of the people um, and of the state? And so there, there, there needs to be a much better conversation. Um, and, and even when you look at our national discussions, which are going on right now, topic, topical to the issue of culture, um, the, the decency that we should have in conducting ourselves, we should, we're supposed to set a higher standard once we decide to step forward, whether it's elected representation, whether it's just representation of a civic body or whatever the case is, we're supposed to always try to represent the best of. And it seems like we're allowing ourselves to, to represent almost the base nature of. And so it's really time to examine how we should, how we should allow ourselves to conduct business going forward. That's a good point. And speaking of culture, Allison, as a as a woman who was a former candidate who is now an elected official, what do you what is your take on the culture in Annapolis? What do you think that desperately needs to change about the culture down, uh, especially during this legislative session and and moving forward? You know, I don't. I I always focus more on the the federal things because I have federal office. But I will say that my my response to this was to go and to listen to her constituents and figure out how do they feel about it and and what are the concerns here. And I've seen a, a broad mix of some people saying we can forgive her. I, I, I think that it's okay that she not resign to people saying that she needs to resign. If she can't resign, then she should be expelled. Uh, to people who are somewhere in between where I don't think they'd necessarily be opposed to her resignation, but they are concerned that you have a, a veteran delegate who has been effective at, at advocating for their concerns in many ways. And if you were to remove her right this minute with a month left of session, then the chances of replacing her before the end of session are almost zero. Uh, and and yeah. I don't know what the answer is there, but but I I do want to say that the the people of Harper County are already feeling betrayed and hurt and angry and frustrated, but we are also also catching a lot of flack from other areas in the state. Uh, to where nearly every public figure on the Democratic side, Democratic candidates, things like that, have been basically being harassed or pushed around into into making a statement, denouncing her. But once you say something or if you don't say something, people are angry no matter what you say. It just doesn't seem like there's a good answer and a good way to balance all of it. Eugene Craig, I've seen conversations on online. I've seen, of course, I track a lot of the comments on social media articles, much to my own peril, because I, you go down a rabbit hole and you, you you spend, you you know, I spend lots of time reading comments and I I really think, man, I shouldn't do that because it, it sort of sometimes tears at humanity. Um, you, you know, I, I saw, Republicans pointing fingers now at Democrats. This has somehow turned into a a partisan issue where they say, "See, look, another Democrat, a racist Democrat," <laughs> and then they 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 reference the Ralph Northam uh, situation over at uh, in in Virginia with the the blackface. He he has not resigned. Eugene, you have an interesting perspective being a Republican, but someone who has. Quite candidly, you have taken on the Republican Party in almost in every aspect possible. Um, you have shredded them um, on their relationship with minority communities. What's your take on on this 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 seemingly evolving partisan issue that seems to be playing out? I think Republicans should keep their mouth shut. Um, there are no position in almost any state to take the lead on this. Uh, I mean, you can't argue, you know, I said this about the, you know, Northam and Harris situation. I said, you can't make an argument about, you know, Northam, you know, and blackface and racism when 
your last U.S. Senate candidate literally was Corey Stewart. Likewise here in Maryland. Um, you know, likewise here in Maryland. You know, if 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 folk if, if some of if some of the more vocal voices of this party had their way, they would love to come in and bring some of the racist voter ID laws, um, you know, and apply them here in Maryland. I mean, they, you know, some of our guys, you know, if you give them a nice private room, will still echo, you know, the racist birtherism, um, you know, that's imperative around, you know, since oh eight oh nine, you know, in regards to Barack Obama, um, and so. Yeah, I think Republicans are absolutely in no position. I mean, that's on top of the almost refusal of wanting to establish an effective uh, two-way street, you know, bilateral relationship with the African American community or minority community in general, minority, minority communities in general. Um, you know, you know, they only listen to Black Republicans, let alone you know folks that aren't Black Republicans that are Black but aren't Republican. Um, you know, I just think the Republican Party is in no position to you know to take a moral high ground, take a stand, you know, you can't, you can't point the finger somewhere else if your own house isn't together. Well, and I've seen that your point is well taken. The, every single democratic organization has virtually come out and said, she needs to go. She needs to step aside. She is choosing not to. And they, they have asked her to, to take, to take her redemption outside of the state house and to, to allow her to, to heal, allow her, as Allison said, she talked about the constituents up in Harford County uh, to, to move past this. Eventually, I, I don't know if this just goes away. I haven't quite seen that. that fe- I haven't gotten that feeling that this is just going to go away, which brings me to the next point in this conversation. I want to go back to you, Michael. Uh, you, you, are, you are part of um, a couple of people or a group or um, – that are pushing for her now that she has been censured and she refuses to resign. The next, the next logical step in this process is to say, how does, how can we get her out of the house? A delegate, that's what people are saying. So is, is expulsion. What's that process, Michael? Do you, do you know of any movement afoot that would potentially expel her and what would that process be? Sure. Um, so the expulsion process has only happened once in the history of the Maryland General Assembly uh, with uh, former state Senator Larry Young. And uh, the story broke back in 1998, also in the Washington Post. Uh, and and to, to directly answer your question, uh, expulsion works very similarly to uh, any other bill that's filed in Annapolis. So a legislator would need to draft the bill. Uh, which there are rumors that there is a bill draft currently circulating, uh, and we would need two-thirds of both houses of the legislature to vote for expulsion. And uh, were they to vote yes in a two-thirds majority in both houses, she would officially be expelled. Uh, Were she to be expelled, the Hartford County Democratic Central Committee, in this case, uh, would put forth a name or a collection of names to be sent to uh, the governor for appointment, and uh, Governor Larry Hogan would take those names, and he would decide who would take that seat until the next election. Allison Galbraith, is the party behind the movement to expel her? Party is the state is the state party. I don't know their position on that. I know that they. I know that Maya Rocky Moore Cummings called for her to resign. In no uncertain terms, very quickly. I, I, I saw that, and I believe that she made that statement. Um, uh, I, I think as soon as Wednesday or Tuesday, it, it was pretty quick. I, these these situations snowball rather quickly, and there's dozens of people who put out statements. So much so that I I can't keep track. But uh, let me go to Chris. Chris, what do you think? Is is this is this the right move? Should she be since she refuses to resign from the Maryland House of Delegates, then would the logical next step be to to, to, to have her colleagues, to have a, a resolution sponsored to then expel her? I, I think, again, that's, it's, a t- it's not it's not a tough, yes, that is the next move, and it should be done. Um, but what it is, again, we, we've allowed the, we've allowed the, uh, the pool of issues to be so muddy. Um, you know, there's 
there's so much, there's really just so much dancing around the issue. It's hard. I'm, I'm really trying to couch this carefully, but I'd rather get right to it. There's so many people dancing around the issue, whether it be because of party, whether it be because of personal relation, whether it be because of the so many other issues. I don't know if you guys, before I came on, mentioned the comments that Mike Miller has made in the past, although his would couch them a little better and could help Baltimore. But he, he said some pretty, um, some pretty tough things in the past. And, and, and so many things that, um, that should have garnered more attention and more um, ire than they did has happened, whether, whether long in the past or very recently. And so, um, like I said, at some point it needs to be incumbent on whether it's, whether it's actually elected officials or the bodies that they represent, the people saying, if you won't actually represent us, then maybe you don't belong there. They, they, there's a responsibility on all of us in this instance. Like I said, they, they should absolutely be stepping up calling for that. But this, should, this, this, this needs to be on the record so that we can see who doesn't call for it when, when their constituents say that they should. Um, and, and everybody looks for cover in the political sense when they can get it. But it's, it's really time to start opening windows and turning on flashlights. You, you make a great point that this should be on the record, of course. And speaking of which, there was one state delegate from Harford County who was apparently in the chamber at the time. He's a Republican but did not vote. And that was Delegate Rick Empolaria, who is part of a three-member district. Three, it's a Republican district, <coughs> excuse me, and in Harford County, District 7. He didn't vote for the resolution. He could have. I, that is the, the resolution to censure. I, I haven't been able to find out why. Did, Eugene Craig, you, you still have some pretty good connections inside the Republican Party. What do you make of that? It's going to be wild saying this. Uh, uh, MP may have had like may have been the only Republican uh, with uh, some uh, gumption to uh, hey let me at least cover myself on my six for what could potentially come down the road. Um, you know I think he knows that with his you know more than interesting checkered past um, that if he decides to vote for it, you know he could be very well be next with an actual conviction, um, wow. which he actually went to jail for. Um, and that's not counting all the other stuff where, you know, actually, you know, committed what would uh, what would amount to attempted murder with some of his family members in a vehicle. He, he did, he did um, for the record, try to run over his mother with a vehicle some yeah. years ago. Some years ago. And he, and so, and he was he was reelected, just just pointing that yeah. out several times. Yeah. But, 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 but to put things in part perspective, in person, you know, I think there are, there are multiple members of, of the of the Republican side that probably should have made no stance on this. Um, you know, folks that ran on you know, anti-Muslim platforms, folks that, you know, have, you know, run on a multitude of things and have a multitude of statements out there. Well, yesterday I wrote a column on a minor detail.com that I talked about the, whether this Lasanti scandal was indicative of, of the, Annapolis culture. And I just highlighted that how this, this, this story unfolded. And I, I put some questions out there that did this. And, and I want to pose this question to you, Michael, you followed this story pretty closely since the, since it broke. Do you, let's start with the leadership of the democratic party. Let's go right to house speaker, Michael Bush, who um, has been in office for many years, been the house speaker since 2003 he expressed disappointment in the, her conduct and urged her to apologize initially and face the consequences of behavior. She then met with the speaker on Thursday. I, I presume, and I don't have this, I, I don't have this exactly, but I presume that the, the, the speaker's office has asked her to, to step down. Um, but do, what do you make of that? Do you think that the speaker's office reacted um, Appropriately, should it have been better, or was it not up to par? Uh, I mean, to say that it was not up to par is, is an understatement, in my opinion. Uh, because, I mean, as, as I was following this story, uh, I, I mean, let's be frank. Asking someone to resign um, is a subtle suggestion. And it, it, it's, not really, uh, it's not really a punishment. It's not really holding her accountable. And 
even the censure vote. You know, I mean, they, they stripped her of her committees, but she still makes her, her salary as a delegate. She still has the power to vote on the floors. And, and based on, you know, not only her original comments, uh, but the ensuing statements that she's made since, clear that she doesn't have uh, a very large plurality of her constituents in mind when she makes these votes. So, you know, again, and with that is why we're, we're pushing for expulsion. But, you know, I really don't, I really don't think that the stance that was taken um, was as, as quick or as uh, severe as it should have been. Because as I was following the story, you know, it started with, like I said, him calling her into the office and then having this, this talk. And originally she was only taken off of her chairmanship of the subcommittee for unemployment and uh, had to, was told to take sensitivity training. Um, and really, the, I, I think that had there not been the public outcry uh, and sustained public outcry at that that there has been, I, I really think that that might have been the end of it. And, you know, that, like I said, is, it really didn't have any teeth to it. And even the censorship uh, doesn't really. Um, so I think anything short of expulsion uh, was, was really letting her off easy, for lack of a better way to put it. Well, there's I an interesting question, though. Go ahead, Allison, please. This is irrelevant to Delegate Lasanti specifically. But I feel like when you start expulsion proceedings, you set a precedent where we can remove you for just about anything. And, I mean, I got to wonder where that goes down the line and what that even means. I mean, there are people in there with multiple sexual assault claims against them that nothing really gets done about it. I mean, how many people, if you, if you start going down this path where it's not criminal actions that end up in expulsion, uh, you know, when, where does it stop? How far does it go? I think it's just can interesting I, I, to consider what the implications of that would be. Yeah. Uh, is that Eugene that you wanted to jump in? It was Christopher. Uh, oh, sorry, Chris. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, thank you. Um, I, 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 I hear those concerns, and I go back to what I said before. When someone does something wrong before, it shouldn't allow the next person to do something wrong. At some point, you have to stop what's being done wrong, recalibrate the culture, and say this is how we operate going forward. What I would also offer is that if this would have been something said about one of our Jewish brothers and sisters, um, some, some, um, some phraseology used or something like that, I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that there would be an outcry for, for removal that would not stop until it happened. And I think that we would all support that. I think if it was a, a, a remark about our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, I think that there would be pushback to get the person out, and it wouldn't stop until it happened, and I think that we would all support them as well. I think that, I, and, and this is where, and yes, I'm kind of passionate about this one. I am a black man. I see a lot of, a lot of um, kind of hemming and hawing when it comes to some uh, um appropriate actions as opposed to others. We have to set a culture. We have to raise the standard, not lower it, not allow it to stay stagnant at a, at a level where we just kind of shake our heads and kick rocks and say, man, that was terrible. We have to raise the bar. These are supposed to be those of us elected to represent us. They are supposed to be the best of us that we put forward um, as the will of the people. And if we allow them to then uh, lower the bar, and then we accept the lowered standard, where do we end up eventually in the future? Because those situations that happened previous to her, to her were egregious, and they should have been removed. Yes, they should have, but they weren't, and now this has happened. And if this one isn't, then what will happen next that we allow? I mean, how bad does it have to get before we actually put our foot down? Allison, and, and that's a great point, Chris. Allison, you mentioned there is state delegates, elected officials in Annapolis charged of sexual harassment, other – and for instance, Delegate Kurt Anderson, and he he was virtually stripped of his responsibilities. I think he is, his role in Annapolis is now severely limited. He was still reelected 
And we knew about this, I think it was last year, um, in, in the fall. And it, it's been, um, that, that's been another saga. And so it just raises questions about process, the process of what happens when these issues arise. And I know that last year, Delegate Barnes, uh, Daryl Barnes, the chairman of the House Black Caucus, he sent a letter during the investigation surrounding Kurt Anderson that called for due process, due process that goes through, uh, I believe, through the Ethics Committee. They investigate it and they, they make a determination. However, in this case, Marianne Lucente, when somebody broke the story or at least leaked it to the Washington Post, uh, she never had the opportunity to have that due process. So I think the process itself that the Maryland House of Delegates, that leadership and the members put into place, she was, she was not granted that. However, I think this begs a question about the overall culture in Annapolis. I have tried to track down several people who were present during the, when the incident occurred, when and and who were there or had heard about it, and it's it's interesting to me that they're not they're not willing to go on the record and talk about it, even just a statement to say good, bad, and different, what should happen. And it felt like that the situation was handled internally, that it was handled by the family, and I, I can understand that, and I can also understand that when you're an Annapolis cigar bar unwinding after a long day's work alongside your colleagues that there's a tendency to look at the, you have a cigar, there's some, 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 some talk that, that wouldn't otherwise be uh, broadcasted to the public. Um, but still she used a phrase, she used the N word and it, it feels like, why didn't we hear about this earlier? And if leadership did hear about this, let's say the speaker's office heard about this, a week ago, two or three weeks ago, doesn't doesn't it feel like something more immediate should have happened rather than the Washington Post having to break the story and virtually the, the entire state having to hear all about this at once? I, I don't feel like that the questions are being answered. And I've tried. I've asked the questions of the speaker's office when they first heard about it, and I'm just not getting any pushback. What, what do you make of that, Allison? I, don't, I have to wonder what the Post didn't find. And what's, good point. what's been going on there that we just don't know about? What, what do you uh, think I is going on? I don't on? know what's wrong with the process, but sorry? I mean, what do you think is going on? I mean, do you think that, I, I mean, personally, as someone who is trying to dig out the facts and trying to get to the, the, the bottom of the story, it's interesting to me that they, they, they did not, that, that she wasn't, that something didn't occur earlier when, people first found out about it. If I were in the speaker's office and I had learned about this several weeks ago, I would think that I would call her in and have this discussion and make a public statement before this hugely embarrassing story was leaked. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm, I'm not following what the house process is, but Allison, wouldn't you think that we would have heard about this earlier if, if this was the rumors that were, that were occurring all throughout Annapolis? Um, do I think we'd necessarily have heard about it? it? No, but I'm really cynical of politics. That's fair. <laughs> um, well, that's fair. I, I, I think, that, yeah, I think most people who are who follow politics as closely as you do have become a bit cynical <laughs> because we we know that things aren't that that process is not always played out. That things don't happen as they should, and and and. It's it's a common recurrence in in our in our politics of of today. So I think that's a fair point, Michael. What do you think? I mean, do you think that that had we obviously this was a rumor that was um, spreading like wildfire? It looks like somebody leaked it to the press. Somebody had to talk about this, but rather they, it felt like they wanted to keep it internal and and kind of deal out the consequences as a family instead of this going to the press. What do you what do you make of that? Uh, I mean, like I said, this is really, you know, indicative of the way that it looks like it was handled from the from the outset. You know, I mean, that is an excellent question. Why, why did it take a Washington Post article uh, for this to even really come to light? And would we have even heard about this 
had the Washington Post article not broken. You know, and I mean, like I said, in, in seeing the way handled, um, you know, through the speaker's office with them originally just stripping her of, of the one subcommittee chairmanship and saying that she needed to take sensitivity training. I mean, you have to wonder, you know, how they would have dealt with this had the story not broken the way that it did. And, you know, I, I'm kind of with, with Allison on this one and, and being a little bit cynical. And I, I have a lot of concerns on how it would have been handled and if it would have been handled at all. Um, and if we would have known about it, had had it not broken. Well, that's the job of the press, of course. Um, and I have to commend Ovita Wiggins of the Washington Post, who's a tremendous reporter. She has been for years. That had this story not broken, would we even be having these conversations? And and should a should a comment like that go unpublicized and be dealt with internally? I think that that's a question. For the leadership, I think that they have to answer a few more questions. And look, I'm not, I am not trying to be signal. I'm not being accusatory. I'm simply trying to get to the bottom of how they dealt out their own process. And this is neither a positive or a negative. I'm neutral. I'm trying to understand best how they, they doled out the, the process here, how it unfolded and whether it was by the books. And, uh, but I have to ask the question, would, and you bring up a great point, you and Allison, would we have heard about this had this story not made it to the metro section of the Washington Post? Now today, I, I looked at the, the recap of the articles. There's been hundreds of articles written about this story, so much so it's gone international. Think about it. I have a friend up in New Hampshire who was a former state delegate, and, and she even posted about this and said, why aren't we hearing more about this? And I'm like, well, wait a second here, down in Maryland, this is all we've been talking about. So, so it's, just, it's just evolved into more questions, and it makes you also discuss the Annapolis culture. And I, and I just happen to think, like, okay, if, what, if, what if that were – and, and I don't want to be partisan, but I just want to pose this as a hypothetical. I wrote this in my column yesterday. Had a Western Maryland white delegate, let's just say Neil Parrott, and I just use him as an example, not just – I'm just using him as, a, as, as an example. I could use anybody as an example. But had Mr. Parrott, Delegate Neil Parrott, said the same remark at the same cigar bar at the same exact time, would the outcome have been markedly different? What do you – What's the panel think? Eugene, you, you know Republican politics better than anybody in the state of Maryland. What would have happened? Would the speaker have oh, asked Neil for his Parrott, keys and Neil badge? Parrott would have been, been, been gone two hours later. Um, you, know, you know, two hours later. And then, look, you know, being honest about it, it's a double standard. And, and as a, you know, the other black man on the panel, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you from the perspective of black America, um, you know, when things like this are, 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 are kept quiet and brushed under the rug until, you know, they're brought out to the open and forced to be discussed upon, you know, in our eyes, um, you know, silence is complicit. You know, you know silence is, is a silent cosign of it. You know, if, you know, what we look for is, hey, you know, there, there has to be an understood standard that none of this is acceptable. And, and part of that none of it being acceptable is it being actively called out when it happens. And so – you know, to speak to the culture of Annapolis, um, you know, if the speaker found out about this much, uh, you know, well before we did, he probably should resign. And those in leadership that helped, mm. that helped keep this quiet, you know, but also, you know, the, the, when, when, you know, I'll give you another, you know, another insight from a black perspective, you know, the way we, the angles that we look at, at, at this is, and why does she feel comfortable saying it in front of another colleague? I, you know, that I think that's the biggest the colleague. You know, why, why does she feel comfortable yeah. saying it in front of you? That that's the biggest. I think that's the biggest, most important question of the night is why Delegate Lucente felt that she could say this with immunity in front of another colleague. That I haven't asked her that. I don't know if any of the other press have asked her that. But why is that an acceptable use or term, um, even in the context? And it looks like. According to what I have read and according to what every other media outlet has reported that they um, that, you know, she might have been drinking. But even so, you know, when somebody drinks, is that a 
is that an excuse, Chris? Is that does that no. give someone an excuse to use that type of racial slur? Of course not. That's, that's of course not. And um, just for the record, uh, Delegate Jay Walker um, at the press conference on uh, Lost Days, I think it was Thursday, Thursday or Friday, mm-hmm. the press conference that we had uh, as the NAACP in Annapolis. He stated on yeah. the record into the microphone. He said, I, I was there. Yeah. And everybody kind of froze. And one gentleman um, from the side did speak up and say, well, why did it take so long for you to say something? And that wasn't responded to. But the, the very questions that you all are coming out. Um, so he was on the record. He was, you know, in front of the media, in front of the microphones. And he said, I was there. Yeah, uh, and, and, I, and so there, 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 there are other questions. That, you know, it, actually, there's a, there's still a lot of questions. But again, for me, the biggest thing is, at some point, we have to get a hold of culture. This, this, it doesn't matter uh, when you're dealing with an environment where where people can keep identifying negative activity. You change culture by stopping things. Someone's going to have to pay whether they're the worst, the, you know, the most egregious example or not is not the question. It's just how, how far do you want it to go before you actually make a change? It's going to have to happen sooner or later. And, and Christopher, what do you think? Does this incident move culture forward in Annapolis throughout the state and through African-American relations? Does this, did, are, we, are we going to take a step forward? Absolutely not. Um, Maryland is already um, basically considered a purple state, although, you know, it, it, it's largely portrayed as a blue state. We know, especially in Annapolis, um, when you look at the legislative policies and, and, and how legislation has been stag- stagnated, whether it was by Joe Valerio and House Judiciary during his time, whether it's by Senator Bobby Zirkin currently, these are Democrats, and, and especially when it comes to issues of criminal justice reform. They've been, they've been some of the most, um, you know, just just stagnating on the basics of criminal justice reform. Widely accepted principles of what's going on in policing and the courts, et cetera, um, across the country. Here in Maryland, we've still been kind of regressive on the issue. And so as a purple state, for this, for this as a purple Democrat state, to be, it's bad enough to overlook any, any incident any incident of sexual harassment, any incident of, of financial impropriety. But then you want to compound it by overlooking something like this, and how will that move the state forward, whether it be politically, legislatively, or just holistically um, to the outside world? I, I, I just don't see how that – I don't see how we get better by, by ignoring this or any of those behind it. Well, part of part of why I I use this show as an instrument of change, and to have these conversations are so incredibly important in this culture to to change this conversation to change the narrative. So, Chris, what what's your recommendation? How can we begin the healing process? How can we, um, as Marylanders collectively, um, what can we do together to move past this? What do you think needs to be done? to grab our identity by the reins. We have to determine our identity by setting the standard of what we will stand for, what we will exude, what we will stand up for, and what we won't. Um, again, I would just go back to if this was uh, a, a remark said about regardless of the company, regardless of the context, and, and, and all of these other kinds of excuses, I think that, that one glaring question, again, why would she feel so comfortable um, making that remark in the company that she was in. And mind you, the company that you're in doesn't, doesn't determine whether or not that term is acceptable. History dictates that the company that you're in does not determine whether or not that phrase, that, that term is acceptable um, from that delegate in, that, in, in Annapolis. I mean, come on. At some point, we have to determine who we're going to be. That's not to say that she belongs on a cross. That's not to say that she doesn't belong, um, you know, that she doesn't belong able to work and support her family, anything else. It just says that she does not belong in the position of being a representative of Harford County because if she as a representative of Harford County is allowed to do that, then that says that Harford County is allowed to be like that 
Is that the example that we want to set, uh, a set or accept? Yeah, great points. Um, Michael, uh, as we... Just just to add on very quickly. Please. Hartford County hasn't had the best reputation as it comes, as as it relates to um, black people in Hartford County, historically. I've worked in Hartford County for quite a while, Mm -hmm. and I know the history of Hartford County. So the residents of Hartford County have been actively working to be better. Why should we allow their representative to go backwards? I think that's a great point, a fair one at that. Um, finishing up, Michael, moving forward, beginning tomorrow, what, do you, what cards do you expect to drop? What do you anticipate will, will happen? Well, uh, I think things do remain to be seen. Like I said, we do, there have been uh, uh, rumors that there is an expulsion bill circulating. And I want to be really clear here. I think that expulsion is the only path forward. And I believe that if, if, if she is not expelled, anything short of expulsion is, is really, to Chris's point, implicitly or explicitly condoning her behavior and, and saying that, you know, while it may be, quote, unquote, a bad thing to do, um, that there wouldn't really be any consequences to that because she would be continuing to represent those constituents in the legislature. Right. Allison, I, what do you – yeah, go ahead, Allison, please. Certainly not reflect the – the views of everybody that I've listened to in the last week. Uh, I, I think the best path forward is for her to resign. And I don't know if there's any hope of that. Maybe she's trying to stick it out until the end of session or something like that. I have no idea what's going on there. That would certainly, certainly be my preference. Um, you know, and and as far as the people in Hartford County, I don't know about my people sometimes. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough situation for everybody to be in. And, and I think that on some level it might actually be helpful instead of using sensitivity training in, in reactively to give everybody sensitivity training proactively and then set a really clear standard of, of what the expectations for behavior are and, and also clear consequences for it. Just up front, if this is how you act, then, then you go. If you sexually assault somebody, then you go. If you use racial slurs, then you go. That's it. Yeah, I think that, that a, a grander discussion it must be had. And I, I'm hoping somebody puts that together where <laughs> – the entire House, you know, the, the entire House delegates, State Senate, they can they get together. And I know they're busy, but I think this is important, too important to overlook. Uh, I, I don't know how it will be done or what that process would be, but um, you know, a, a, a symposium of sorts to to have these important racial discussions, um, because these racial issues aren't going away. We keep seeing that. Eugene, why don't you finish out the panel discussion tonight? Uh, I think very simply, uh, she got to go. Uh, standard has to be set, a standard has to be established, and a standard has to be respected. Well, I, I think that's that says it all. Um, panel, I, I think we've had a productive discussion tonight, um, and we've we've got these issues out in the open, and uh, we'll, I'm sure all of us will be following what's going to happen. I don't think this story is over yet. I really don't. I think we're only getting into the weeds of, of some of the details. I think we're going to see more come out next week. And I do hope that we can begin this process of moving forward, getting, getting past this and, um, you know, preventing these sorts of things from happening in the future. But I thank each of you for, for coming on tonight. I, I really appreciate uh, the, 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 this this discussion, I think we need to have it. And so um, if you all will keep me abreast of anything as well as I will do the same. But uh, again, panel, thank you all for, for coming on and sharing your thoughts tonight. Thanks thank for, having, for having, us. having us. All right, guys. Yeah, have a great so week. All right. Take it easy and have a great week. Okay, everybody. That was our panel discussion about the Delegate Marianne Lucente scandal. Delegate out of Hartford County uttered a racial slur, apologized for it, was censured on Thursday by the Maryland House delegates. She has 
refused to resign from her seat. And apparently there is a resolution that is floated around, that is being shopped around, that she could be expelled from the House of Delegates. So we're yet to see what is going to happen. I think you're going to – this story is not, is not over. So stay tuned this week. My name is Ryan Miner. You can find me on the web at aminerdetail.com. I'm on social media. I have this blog, this podcast. It's great. Listen as much as you can. And uh, with that, I wish everybody a safe, happy, and successful week ahead. You can subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, CastBox, Overcast, or any application where you listen to podcasts. Like a Minor Detail podcast on Facebook and follow the conversation on Twitter at AMD Podcast. If you or someone you know is interested in sponsoring a Minor Detail podcast, please reach out to me at ryan at a minor detail.com. Thanks so much for listening.